Maybe the manager would come out and say, wow, we've got a big special going and it's yours for free. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be great news. But if that happened, something would still have to be reconciled, wouldn't it? Who would have to pay? Somebody would still have to pay. The cashier might have to pay. If the manager came out and said the cashier will cover that, it's okay. The cashier wouldn't be too happy. The manager might have to pay. The owner might have to pay. The sales rep might have to pay. The distributor might have to pay. The manufacturer might have to pay. But somebody is going to pay for that product. A reconciliation has to take place. We understand how this works with money and with financial exchanges. But the Bible talks about a reconciliation that takes place spiritually. And that's what I want to talk about briefly this morning as we're beginning. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting about at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word reconciliation. And what does it mean? It means just what we've been talking about. It means that somebody has to pay. It means that there has to be an accounting. A reconciling. There's an object of desire. The object of our desire is relationship with God. But relationship with God has a price. And what is that price? Without what will no man see God? Do you know the answer? Without holiness, no one can see God, is what the Bible says. So the price of us getting the object of our desire is holiness. The price of us having relationship with God is to be holy, to be sinless, to be clean. And that's where our problem is because we fall short. We fall short just like when we're in line at the store and we don't have the money. And it's not that we fall short a couple of pennies. We can't reach over into the holiness dish and get a couple of units of holiness and then put them on us to kind of compensate for that little bit that we're missing. That's not how far short we fall. We fall completely short. We stand in line wanting the object of our desire and we have absolutely nothing. Just as if we had no money. There is none righteous, not even one, Romans 3 says. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. 
Their throats are an open grave and their tongues, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This isn't holiness that's being described. This is us. This is what we bring to God. Verse 20 says, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're empty. We have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. We desire relationship with God. We have that as the object of our desire. But we are short of funds. And we're not just short we're void of funds. We have no funds. There is a lie out there that says we're just short of funds. There are lots of religions out there, lots of gospels that are proclaiming to us that we're short of funds, that we just need a little compensation and we'll get enough. The reality is we have none. We need a complete infusion of funds, of holiness, in order to see God. That's the bad news. We don't have any funds. The good news is that God has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. That God has made an offering of Jesus Christ. Somebody has to pay so that everything is reconciled in the end. And God made it possible for Jesus to pay our penalty, for Jesus to place in our account holiness, righteousness, purity. And so we have redemption from God. And this is good news. We have righteousness from God. This is good news. We have reconciliation from God. Reconciling us to Him through Jesus Christ. This is good news. It is the free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. We sang a song this morning coming from Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able. Now, ye needy. Come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Without money. Without money, come to Jesus, come and buy. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. I love this doctrine. This is the doctrine of the atonement, isn't it? If you're a Christian this morning, your heart should be going swelling with the reality of what God has done for you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you should be looking at that object of your desire and thinking, how can that be that God would do that for me? Reconciliation. Good news. Access to God. Access to God. This is the message of the Gospel. Yet over time, 
this message has been thwarted and stifled and stomped on in every possible way. It is stomped on from inside because we stifle it, the Bible says. We suppress the truth in our wickedness, the Bible says. It's, it's held down from inside, this idea of how we have access to God. It's stomped on from outside, from a couple of sources outside. What I want to talk about is one of those two sources. The one I don't want to talk about this morning particularly is that we have opposition denying us access to God from an enemy, that is Satan, and from his minions. We have a real enemy who exists, a spiritual enemy. And that is an outside influence that is driving us, trying to keep us, denying us access to God. But we have another source of outside access and or outside denial, and that is men. We have another source of, of, uh, of opposition, and that is from men. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. I want to look at a few scriptural examples real quickly. If you don't turn to these, just listen to me as I said. Some attempts, attempts that come from men to restrict us access to God come from religious non-believers. People who are religious, but they're not really Christians. And if you look at the Bible, you can find many, many examples of this. If you look in uh, the, the book of Matthew chapter 12, you see Jesus meeting, and it's after a dialogue he's had with leaders about what to do on the Sabbath. And as he's talking, it says that there were those who questioned Jesus because they wanted to find a way to accuse him. They said, is it right to heal people on the Sabbath? And so Jesus, if you know the story, went ahead and he healed the man of his withered hand. And if you read on, you see how he opposed them for how evil they were to restrict this man access to the power of God just because it was the Sabbath. They wanted to deny people access to God because of their rules that they'd set up. And they said, no, no access in this, in this matter. In Matthew 21, you have the story of the cleansing of the temple. Do you know the story where Jesus, he forms the whip and he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers? And why is he so upset with them? He said, you've made my father's house a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's so full of money changing that nobody can come in and pray. You've denied access to God. You've, you've restricted access to God. And he was furious with them. Acts 4, the book of Acts chapter 4, after Pentecost, the apostles were preaching. And they were preaching... As they were preaching, the religious leaders arrested them. And they, in verse 18 it says, It commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. What were they doing? No access. We don't want people to hear this message. We don't want people to be reconciled to God. They were putting up a barrier. Sometimes opposition comes from pagans, people who are not Christians or make no profession or not even necessarily religious. When uh, Paul was traveling, as he went into uh, Ephesus, I believe it was in Ephesus. He's in, he's in Ephesus and he's preaching and so many people, is this where all the people were burning their religious trinkets and their, uh, their different scrolls, things like that? 
throwing away their idols. And what happens when the silversmiths, when Demetrius and the, the silver idol crafting guild find out that people aren't buying idols, idol sales are way down. And they, they do some investigation and they realize that Paul is preaching and people are throwing away their idols and they're not buying more idols. And sales are down. And so these pagans come and they bring them before the, the city. They want the city to take care of them because they're messing up the economy. They want to deny access. They don't realize what they're denying access to, but they do want to deny access. Sometimes the opposition comes, the denial of access comes from people within the church like us. And it did in the Bible as well. The mothers would bring their children to Jesus for him to pray for them. And what did the disciples say? No. No access for the children. And Jesus got upset. He said, you absolutely allow the children to come to me. Paul was in Antioch, and Peter came to visit. And there in Antioch, there were Jews and there were Gentiles in the Antioch church. And while Peter was there, the Jews were kind of pulling Peter off to one side and saying, you know, we really shouldn't associate with the Gentiles, with the uncircumcised bunch so much. It's not so desirable. They're not so desirable. They haven't really got uh, the full message of the gospel. We should, we're, we're better than they are. And so Peter started doing this, and Paul said, wait a minute, this is absolutely wrong. You are denying access. Those weren't his words, but that was the reality. They were saying that there's something else that you're missing that wasn't true. They were preaching another gospel. They were restricting the, the men of Antioch from coming to the truth of Jesus. And Paul rebuked them for it, for their denial of access. All of these things can be seen today. We still have believing, or I'm sorry, we still have religious people who are not Christians, religious, unbelieving people who are not Christians who are denying access to God. They, it comes in the form of liberalism. We, we understand uh, the, the forms that liberalism takes and how it teaches us. If, we, if you don't, I'd be glad to talk with you about places that liberalism is influencing America and telling America that they're, that they're Christian or that they're right or that they're good or that they have reconciliation to God when they actually have nothing. It's a false thing. And there are other places that... Uh, uh, religious people are restricting access, religious non-Christian people are restricting access, and it's in groups that are teaching, just teaching heresies, or teaching things that are partially true. And you see that in the whole idea that any church that's teaching that you can somehow reach over into the holiness dish and grab some extra holiness just to kind of apply to yourself, that's, a, that's just a false thing. It's a heresy. It's destructive because it's not true. Restricts access. Do pagan, unbelieving people still attempt to restrict access to God? Yes, they do. They still do that. Here in Bloomington, you know, we, we look at Bloomington, Indiana, and it, if you drive through town, it looks just like any other county seat town in Indiana. It's got the big courthouse with the circle streets going around it and the little facaded buildings around it. It looks very much like any other place. But because of Indiana University, we have an inordinate amount of 
uh, actively involved people who are actively involved in hating God. Now, if you're watching them, if you're going by the courthouse sometime and you see all the people with their signs standing out, they don't have a sign that says on it, I hate God. But if they were honest, that's what they would have. What you watch them hold up are signs that say anything else, everything else they hate, but everything else they hate usually is everything God has, has, has held up as true and honorable. And so they're opposed to anything that God would have us be in favor of. And so it's, it's tantamount to saying, I hate God. So we have a lot of those people here in Bloomington, an inordinate amount of them, because we get to see them here in the campus and around the university. But we have a lot of people who are inactive in hating God as well in our community. Lots of people are just very passive about not caring. And once in a while you have a, a real conflict that, that explodes on this issue. Very occasionally, very rarely, I go down where Carol and others uh, faithfully uh, stand at the uh, abortion clinic and, and will hold a sign for a while and, and talk to people who are going in, into the abortuary in town. And one day, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I was down there, and I was just standing in the corner of the back of the parking lot holding a sign, and it said, Planned Parenthood kills babies. That's what my sign said. And as I was standing there, I was, I, I was thinking about, honestly, I think I was thinking about what I had to do that day. I wasn't being really involved in the process at the time. I was just standing there with my sign thinking about something else. And I looked up and suddenly realized that there was a pickup truck, a club cab type truck with two seats in it. There was two adult women sitting in the front, chain smoking, and there was about a 10-year-old boy sitting behind them in the back seat. And I watched, and suddenly I realized that one of the women was looking at me, and not only that, she was motioning to me, but she was motioning with an obscene gesture, very vehement, obscene gesture at me as I was standing there. And I thought, what did I do? And as I was standing there, she started yelling at me and cursing me, vile curses and obscenities. And then, how dare you add to the... Now, these are my words, but essentially she was saying, how dare you add to the delinquency of my son by holding a sign like that up in front of him? And I'm thinking, your son's delinquency? Uh, sailors don't even talk like you do. And I couldn't figure out what it was about it. She was just kept going and going and going. She was just so angry, just furious with me. Finally, she got out of the truck and stomped into the building. And then later on, I realized what it was. She hadn't come for an abortion. The other woman in the truck hadn't come for an abortion, but they had brought someone for an abortion. And the 10-year-old son had come along. And the 10-year-old son, seeing my sign, Planned Parenthood Kills Babies, had drawn the connecting lines and had made a comment to his mother. And suddenly this passive hater of God became an active hater of God. She was very awake. And we have people like this all around us. They haven't considered what their passivity is doing and how it affects the world and how it restricts access to God. But once they come into contact with something that awakens that, they become furious and suddenly active. It's all around us today. What about Christians? Not pagans, not liberals, not heretical people. Believers like Peter and like the apostles who 
kept the children away from Jesus. Are those people still here today? It says that we should be ministers of reconciliation now. But what do we do that restricts people from coming to God? Well, I want to propose three big reasons this morning. Three big things that motivate us to keep people away from God. One is that we're proud. We have a lot of pride Like the disciples who kept the children away, we imagine that somehow the, 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 uh, the group, the set of people that are uh, available to hear this gospel and have this relationship with God is a small set. Maybe they're a lot like us. Maybe they're beautiful people. I make a joke sometimes, and my wife and I, and I talk about the beautiful people. You know, do you know who the beautiful people are? It's a terrible thing. I shouldn't do it. But the beautiful people are the people who kind of look like uh, Barbie and Ken, and they've got the nice, beautiful house, and they've got the beautiful jobs, and they've got the beautiful children, and it's a bad thing to do, I know, because everybody's, nobody's really like this, okay? But inside... But I know that there are beautiful people, and sometimes we think it's the beautiful people that the gospel is for. I know churches that are really built around the beautiful people. Everything is structured for the beautiful people, for Ken and Barbie to come to. But we have these kinds of prejudices, and we do these kinds of these little things unconsciously where we don't approach people who aren't like what we think people ought to be who are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we restrict them. We, we just don't. We don't include the unbeautiful people. You know, we have like these lines. Well, they've got a visible tattoo. They're not the beautiful people. They have more than ten piercings. They're not the beautiful people. And so we think, okay, they're out of the set. We do this. We really do. Consciously or unconsciously, we do this. And we restrict access to God because of our pride and our thinking, our narrowness of thinking. Sometimes we think, well, it's only the intelligent people. It's only the people that could really get into a, a Calvin's Institute's study with me. Those are the people that God would really want to hear the gospel. I used to think in my pride that uh, people that talked about how God delivered them when they became a Christian, he delivered them from cigarette smoking. And then sometimes in my pride I would think, oh, that's so shallow. God delivered you from cigarette smoking. That is so shallow. How horrible of me to think that. God does deliver people from cigarette smoking. And all manner of sins and bondages. Now I would think a church that taught that cigarette smoking deliverance was the gospel would be a shallow church. And I would have a problem with that. But that's not the same thing. Pride. Pride in our intellect, pride in our children, pride in our dress, pride in our sanitized living. We're so clean. Pride in our doctrine. We don't realize that there is a, a necessity to talk to people where they are and, and, and recognize who they are and love them. When Paul went into Athens, he's talking to the Athenians and he, he recognizes something about them and he makes some connection with him. He says, I see that you have all kinds of idols. You're very religious. I even saw an idol to an unknown God. That which you've called unknown, that's the one I came to proclaim to you today. 
And he took what they had in their ignorance and he built a bridge. He played the Pied Piper song and he piped them over to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And we're not willing to do that so often because we don't think we want those people piped over here. Or we don't want the inconvenience of dealing with that. It's a difficult conversation to have to get somebody from over there to over here. It takes a lot of time. I'd rather they were already here. Sometimes we're motivated by fear. Peter was motivated by fear. What's it going to cost me? Can I really do it? What are people going to think of me? If I start hanging out with the tattooed people, will my other friends think that's awful in the church? We get, we get fearful. Sometimes we restrict access because we just don't, we don't have faith. We just don't believe it. We won't tell anybody about Jesus because we don't believe they could believe it because we find it so unbelievable ourselves. And so we're, we're restricting access just because of our unbelief. We need to take Jesus' attitude toward anyone, ourselves included, who would restrict access to God. Jesus had one attitude toward anybody that would hinder anyone's access to God. Whether it was his own disciples stopping the children, whether it was the Pharisees stopping the sick and the crowds from hearing the gospel, whether it was the money changers stopping the people from going into the temple and praying, whether it was the leaders who rejected John's baptism while not celebrating the fact that prostitutes and tax collectors were going into the kingdom of heaven in front of their very eyes. Jesus' attitude was the same towards all of those people. No, you won't. You won't do this. And it was in various degrees of no, you won't, depending on who he was talking to in the circumstances. It might have been a whip or it might have been a rebuke, but it was an absolutely no, you won't restrict access to God. And that's got to be our attitude as well. We've been going through this. Uh, we just went through an evangelism program. We're going to do it again in September, Lord willing. And Christy and Stephen Bradley have been working on this. Prepare. Keep working and telling your neighbors. Invite them into your home. Give them access to God. Tell them about Jesus. Give them access to you who will bring them to church and give them access to the Gospel. This should be nourishment to us. I said when I was talking about the atonement, it makes my heart swell. Every time you talk to somebody about Jesus, it should be nourishment to you. When Jesus was at the well with the woman, he talked to the woman about her soul and about living water. And the disciples went away to get food. And they came back and they said, we've got food. And he said, I'm not hungry. And they said, why aren't you hungry? Did somebody bring you food? I have food that you don't know anything about. It's doing the work of my Father. This should be nourishment to us. Everything else, when we're evangelizing our neighbors and loving our neighbors, we should just have this experience of everything else just falling away from us. And suddenly clarity comes because of God's work and His Spirit. You know, in the movie business, there's a thing called the Hitchcock Zoom. 
And you've seen this in a movie, but it's basically when uh, they take the camera and while the lens is zooming in on the person that they're looking at, the trolley is pulling the camera back away from the person. And it has this zeroing in and everything else is falling away. Well, that's what should happen as we're talking about Jesus. The, the incredible reality that we are seeing people reconciled to God by the message that we're able to give them. This is the good news. Without money. Come to Jesus. Come and buy. Access to God. I love the words of the old spiritual, which I I hope we'll sing here sometime. Give me Jesus. Have you heard this before? I heard my mother say, I heard my mother say, I heard my mother say, give me Jesus. At dark midnight was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me. Give me Jesus. That is the message we have. We have Jesus. Reconciliation to God. Access to God. This is what we have to proclaim to the people around us. Don't deny them. Don't deny them. Give them Jesus. This morning we're going to have the joy of celebrating communion together. And communion is essentially the memorial that God has given us to His reconciling us to Himself through Jesus. This is what we use to remember. God giving us Jesus. If the elders would come forward, please.